The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest, a member of the Society of St. Pius V, and he's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. How are you doing? Doing well, Father. Thanks for being here. You're welcome. It's good to see you again. Yeah, definitely. Good to be back for another week. There's a lot happening in our country right now. Yes, Father. We are now uh, more than a week past the... Uh, the election day here in America, November 3rd, and um, we, uh, <laughs> as you say, there's a lot going on, Father. There's a lot uh, that the media is saying. There's obviously a lot that the media is not saying. Um, so could, could you kind of uh, just, in a nutshell, Father, where do we stand with all of this as a Catholics? You know, what, what should our perspective be during this time? What should we be doing? Well, Tom, as you know, there's an awful lot being said, and, and as you pointed out, and it would be impossible to recap all of that. Mm-hmm in one short 45-minute program. Um, in fact, uh, you know, rather than go through the, the developments for the last week, uh, let's just summarize the fact that the mainstream media is striving to crown uh, Joseph Biden as president-elect. They keep calling him president-elect, mm-hmm. which is absolutely not true. Okay, and those who did not vote for or would not vote for Joseph Biden, when they hear the mainstream media, including their local news affiliates and all, dub him the the president-elect, they should register the fact that they are very insulted by that, that their, their local media would dare to presume the competence, the authority to make that judgment because they have absolutely no, no confidence to do so. It is the height of arrogance of the media to think that they're going to start determining <clears throat> who is the president-elect of the United States of America based on not only the fact that uh, it ultimately is up to the proper civil authorities to make that decision, but also the fact that the election is highly disputed right now. The same uh, mainstream talking heads, the personalities they've got out there to try to sped, spread the, the leftist narrative, essentially, <clears throat> whether they themselves are leftists or not, they're reading, they're reading the copy that's being given them to read, okay? And that copy is put in front of them to read for their news audiences <clears throat> by leftist scriptwriters, evidently, because this is what we're getting consistently throughout the entire industry right now. The mainstream media is putting out the same message, and that is Joseph Biden essentially has been elected the president of the United States of America, and uh, he is going to be automatically chosen by the electors of the Electoral College, and he's going to be sworn in, and he will be, as of, uh, you know, what, January 20th, I guess it is, uh, Uh, the president of the United States of America, right? They they just assume, and they want everyone to accept this fact and get used to the idea, even though there is there 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 is an enormous amount of evidence 
growing by the minute of massive fraud, all going one way in this election, and that is massive fraud to make Joseph Biden the president elect of the United States of America. And to go through a list of all of the all of the evidence for that fraud, again, I mean, that would take, uh, well, my goodness, the, uh, the presidential, uh, President Trump's people presented a 105-page report on the, the amount of fraud, instances of fraud that they were aware of at that time, and they presented this days ago. They presented before the, the Supreme Court of the United States the case for fraud, and uh, the Attorney General of the United States of America, uh, William Barr, has announced that the Department of Justice is going to be investigating cases where it finds credible reports of fraud. They're going to be investigating this. They've discovered that uh, uh, the, the program used in 30 states, including all of the, all of the swing states, as they're called, were using this same program. <clears throat> Hammer and its particular uh, function called scorecard, which changed the votes. They discovered it actually changed the vote only one way from Trump to Biden, right? This has been used throughout 30 other states, at least, that we know of, including all of the battleground states. And in one county alone in Michigan, it was found and it was reported that 12,000 votes were, were switched like that were switched from Trump to Biden by this program. Wouldn't you know, the program is actually in play from a company which is controlled by appointees of Soros, George Soros. He's got his finger in this pie. We could have predicted this. We could have, we, we could have predicted this before the election that we knew that this man was going to try to use his ill-gotten gains there, right? Uh, playing the money market um, in order to uh, in order to influence the election, this should be called. It should be prosecuted, as far as I'm concerned. Right? We're going to talk about collusion, and we're going to talk about influencing the elections here in America. This man it, it, uh, is, is right right up there, right first in line at this point. So, um, and we've known this for a long, long time. We know what he did in, in Ireland to flip Ireland, as it were, and um, what he's done in other countries of the world, too, what he's tried to do by manipulating currency and by using the monies that he's made to, uh, to fund every kind of leftist uh, devilish cause he can. Uh, that, that is hit very close to home here in Hamilton County, as a matter of fact, where he has, in fact, money that has come through his Open Society Foundation has actually influenced races here, right in Hamilton County, Ohio, uh, getting leftists elected to office. So, in any case, this is a problem we're dealing with throughout the country, actually the whole world. But uh, as Catholics, you're right, we have to look at this as a, in a special way. We have to see this as it is in, in, the, uh, in the, as a part of the divine plan. Because God is permitting this to happen, and He's permitting it to happen, as we know, because of our own sinfulness. But at the same time, we're being warned about our own sinfulness and kind of, you know, making the bed we are going to have to lie on, right? Um, we, uh, we are also receiving graces from God to deal with this. And God is, it wants us to 
actually stand up and stand up for him. God wants us to stand up for the kingship of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to stand up for what we know is right and be willing to pay the price of uh, standing up strongly for the kingship of our Lord and doing what we know is right, morally, ethically, politically. You can't distinguish between them. You know, you can't say one thing is right morally, <clears throat> wrong politically. Uh, there is no difference, right? <clears throat> Except in the minds of a leftist um, or a modernist who can, who can detach his, his political life from his moral life, right? Uh, such as Joseph Biden, right? Um, so in any case, <clears throat> for those who are traditional Catholics, though, we have to see that our allegiance to God comes first. And in fact, we have been very passive while these things have been happening. Our country is being degraded and, um, and perverted, actually, and has been. I mean, we saw what happened in 1972 with Roe versus Wade, right? We saw what happened in 1973. We saw the, I'm sorry, Roe versus Wade, I think it was 1973, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, we saw what happened there, and it's as though the Catholic people <clears throat> waited for the bishops to take the lead, and they did not. And ever since then, they've been waiting for the bishops, the Novus Ordo bishops of Vatican II, to take the lead in all of these causes, and they have not done so. And they realize now, I think they're going to, they realize they are not going to do so. That if these Novus Ordo bishops of Vatican II take the lead, it's going to be leading them toward the left, leading them uh, toward liberalism, leading toward, even toward apostasy. Uh, to appeasement, to uh, really this process of uh, subversion, perversion, and inversion, basically. It's a process of subverting the country. <clears throat> then we saw, as a result of that subversion, perversion coming in, right? And then we see now the process of inversion where the country is being turned upside down, just like the church was after Vatican II. It just turned upside down. <clears throat> and... Um, so I think the Catholic people who still have the faith, because there are, there are plenty of people who are in the Novus Ordo itself, who are traditional Catholics at heart, or traditional Catholics by belief, they still have the traditional faith. They just find themselves in the Novus Ordo and practicing the Novus Ordo religion. And they, there's a constant conflict between what they believe and what they're practicing in the Novus Ordo, with the New Order Mass, New Order Sacraments, New Order Morality, New Order Catechisms, right on down the line. There's a constant tension between what they believe, which is the traditional Catholic belief, <clears throat> and what they're called upon to do within the Novus Ordo. And they have to face that for a fact. Even Archbishop Viganò, <clears throat> he has denounced Vatican II, renounced Vatican II, said it should be buried, said there's no way to rehabilitate it because it's the work of modernists, and it's kind of an anti-Catholic manifesto. <clears throat> and yet he has not gone so far, though, as to draw the logical conclusions that if we reject Vatican II, we've got to reject the religion that came out of Vatican II, and that is the new order. We've got to reject that, too. And it's entirely, in its entirety, we have to reject that and return to practicing the traditional Catholic faith. So I think if there's anything we should get out of the, the current quandary we're in right now is that what Our Lady told us at Fatima is absolutely the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And we have to start responding to that, reacting to that, 
energetically and enthusiastically because we know there is a solution to this problem. And Our Lady gave it to us. And even though we weren't able to forestall, as she said, the evils that were predicted there, because of the failure of churchmen. And in fact, these evils have taken place. The World War II took place. Russia spread her errors of Marxism and socialism throughout the world, even though those things were not, were not forestalled. Still, the grace of God is there. And Our Lady, Our Lady said, now each and every single one of us must consecrate ourselves to her Immaculate Heart and dedicate ourselves to being like her, simply at the service of Almighty God, as she was, the handmaid of the Lord. That's the spirit which each and every one of us should have in dedicating ourselves to her Immaculate Heart. And if we will do that, we'll no longer be passive in the face of evil. We'll no longer just be waiting for these Novus Ordo bishops to take the lead, and when they do, they lead us down the primrose path towards socialism and leftism. We need to uh, actually have enough faith and enough gumption of our own, enough fortitude, to stand up personally, individually. It's what Our Lady was asking for, that each one of us personally dedicate himself to her immaculate heart. And there, if we find there, the service of God is our primary intent. We're not going to be waiting for everybody else to, to say something, for everybody else to do something. We're going to be looking for the grace of God to tell us, what am I to do? Like Our Lady, behold the handmaid of the Lord, she said. And each one of us will respond in the same way, what am I to do in the service of God? Mm-hmm. We learn as little children we, that we're created by God to know him, to love him, and to serve him. Individually, personally, right? And I think we need to awaken that, that message that we received when we were in first or second grade and now make it come to pass, actually make it ha- something happen with it. As though we, now we understand the meaning of this, to know him, to love him, and to serve him in this world. So we have to, we have to stand up and oppose evil. So uh, admittedly, without the necessary natural leadership within the church of the bishops, and heaven forbid, Francis, um, it was like the subverter number and perverter number one, really, right now, an inverter number one. Yeah. Now we still have to, we have to let our faith lead. And we have to realize that if our Lord has sent our Blessed Mother to us, that she will take the lead, right? And uh, we have to have confidence in that. So we have to go by the principles of our faith, apply the principle of our faith. We have to respond. Respond to this situation. Personally, I think as Catholics, what we need to do is, as traditional Catholics, who still have the traditional faith, we have to band together, and we have to appear on their doorstep. I mean, Antifa has been appearing on people's doorsteps. They appeared on Tucker Carlson's doorstep one night, right? Terrorized his wife and his children, right? Brave, brave people, these Antifa people. And uh, also BLM. I mean, they appear on people's doorstep and threaten them and so on. And heaven help anybody who would try to defend himself. Right? <clears throat> well, I think it's time that we started appearing on people's doorsteps too. And I don't mean to menace them, but I just mean to, to let them know where we stand. And uh, what we need to stand for is our Lord Jesus Christ the King, and we are not going to yield, not one inch in that. <clears throat> and with regard to what uh, President Trump is saying, and now other, others in his party are taking courage, I think, because he will not back down. And because he has the evidence, I mean, the story is that on election night, actually throughout the election day and perhaps the following day, uh, 
he was uh, at, at the Eisenhower building, <clears throat> where they have an array of electronic equipment with, with staff members who are actually monitoring the election, blow by blow, moment by moment, in the various states. They were actually watching what was going on in real time with all of the fraud, and they have the evidence. This is what it's, it's being circulated there, and there does seem to be some evidence for it, that they actually were monitoring blow by blow, almost ballot by ballot, what was coming in in the various states, especially the swing states, and they do have the solid evidence they need. And so they had enough confidence to go to the Supreme Court and say, look, we need your help. We need you to be involved in this. Go to the Department of Justice and say, look, you need to be involved in this. It's very interesting that the man who was actually responsible in the Department of Justice for discovering, identifying, prosecuting election fraud resigned immediately as soon as William Barr said, we are going to look into this. That man was an Eric Holder, Obama appointee, and he was in that position all this time. Be the one to be, a, be the watchdog in our government against election fraud. And as soon as William Barr says, we're going to look into this, this man, I think his name is Piger, right? Resigned from, from that position. Uh, kind of curious, right? Coincidental? Not exactly. <laughs> so in any case, there are all kinds of strange things happening now, but things are being discovered because they're not backing down. <clears throat> and um, one thing about President Trump, you can say, if he thinks he's right, he's not going to back down, no matter what. Mm -hmm. And this reverses it, the, the constant trend of the last 60 years or so <clears throat> of the conservatives backing down. <clears throat> backing down because they don't have the fortitude to withstand the withering blast of rage of the left. <clears throat> Trump doesn't seem to be care, to care about that at all. Um, <clears throat> he seems to almost find it rather amusing. <clears throat> so he doesn't back down. And now, <clears throat> notice when he starts talking about election fraud and that he would not concede the election, the rest of the Republicans, by and large, except for I mean, Lindsey Graham, the rest of them were very silent. As though, if there's going to be a transition, we don't want to be caught exposed. But now that Trump's cause is gaining traction, uh, now they're coming out. Now the voices are coming out and supporting him. It's as though they were waiting to see which way is this wind going to blow. But, for, but now he's kind of almost single-handedly reverse that trend. Personally, I believe wholeheartedly that is a result of prayer. That is, that is the result of prayer, winning the grace of fortitude where it is needed right now. <clears throat> okay, and we have to keep praying for that. And um, so now, yes, the issue is being forced. They have to face it. Just when it seemed that the left, left had triumphed, <coughs> uh, the abortionists, the perverters, and all the rest had just triumphed, and we're going to walk away with this, the prize, and subjugate our nation to the, to the violent, unprincipled left, okay? <clears throat> Perhaps forever. Um, and people were, were just overwhelmed with dread at that. Just now, it seems, because of the blatant and brazen fraud that was committed, and it, now it's being exposed, 
it's as though the tables are turned now, that they're going to have to be on the defensive, that now it's like half the country at least is realizing what they, what they have been up against all this time, and they're not willing to take this anymore. They're not willing to let them get away with it anymore. And so those who are actually not of a mind to simply surrender the country into the hands of uh, the cheats and the scoundrels have kind of those that have kind of a, a an opportunity here to expose them for what they really are. So I consider this to be a tragedy, yes, but a tragedy that also has an opportunity, God-given opportunity, for anybody who believes that cheating, stealing, and lying are wrong, even if they're done by politicians, especially if they're done by politicians, have an opportunity to expose what's going on here and expose the left for what it really is. So I'm praying and I ask everyone else to pray to Almighty God for the graces necessary to, to have enough faith in Him and hope in Him and love for Him, our Lord Jesus Christ, to stand firm in that faith in that hope and in that love, and not cower or cringe, not flinch in the face of the rage of the powers of hell, because that's what we're looking into right now. And we have to pray for our president, uh, Donald Trump. Um, no one's, when you're voting for him, you're not, you're not, you're not canonizing him, heaven knows, but we do see certain graces of God uh, influencing him. And we thank God for that. We have to pray and pray and pray that that continues to be the case. And we have to pray that others also who are of goodwill in our population, in our, in our government, will come out and uh, stand with him on this and resisting this evil. Uh, stealing, <coughs> stealing by robbing a bank is, is, is mortally sinful, clearly, and it is a grave crime. <coughs> stealing a nation by stealing an election of this, uh, of this uh, exalted uh, position is an unspeakable crime to steal an entire nation, all of its people, and uh, to simply negate the votes. And, and in this case also go against uh, one's own oath to uphold the Constitution in the process is an unspeakable crime. St. Thomas Aquinas said that a counterfeiter is worthy of death. He, he actually said that a capital punishment, that is uh, execution, put, being put to death, would not be excessive in the case of a counterfeiter. <laughs> because he said a counterfeiter, by increasing the money supply with his counterfeit worthless money, <clears throat> steals from everybody at the same time. <clears throat> because it's as though he's, he's uh, decreasing the value of all the money in circulation in the society. And so everyone suffers from his counterfeiting. <clears throat> what would he say then about someone who did this? I mean, ballots are much more important and valuable <clears throat> than dollar bills, or than even $100 bills or $1,000 bills. Ballots are the currency with which we choose our, our leaders, right? People die willingly to f fight for that liberty, to be able to, to vote and elect their leaders. <clears throat> they fight battles unto death for this. So to steal those ballots 
and to counterfeit those ballots. I, I can't help but think that St. Thomas Aquinas would say, that is something worthy of death. It is so gravely immoral, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that we should introduce the cap capital punishment here, but it's about as close to treason as I can imagine, really. Yeah. Subverting the entire country this way. Mm. And Father, you talk about uh, resisting evil, the opposing evil, and one thing that I, I think is frustrating for people of goodwill, I've, I've heard this thought expressed um, many times, is that it seems that uh, those fighting on the side of good are always and only on the defensive. Um, you know, it's almost like we, we kind of wait for this election fraud to happen and then we kind of rush to, to take up our defenses and see if we can can get this sorted out and see if we can um, have, have justice served. But is there any kind of way for people of goodwill to be on the offensive so that we're not always just waiting for some kind of evil to happen and then reacting and responding to it and trying to, to have justice served? Is there a way for people of goodwill to uh, actually be on the, uh, on the offensive and kind of be proactive about fighting evil? Well, absolutely. You know, when our Lord said, be guileless as doves, shrewd as serpents, he didn't say, be guileless as dove and, and naive as serpents. He didn't say that. You know, be naive about things. I mean, traditional Catholicism recognizes evil. It knows what evil is. It knows good and evil, right? It understands, in fact, really, our traditional Catholic faith is one thing that really enables us to understand goodness. But it also enables us to understand what evil is. And we ha one has to really understand evil to deal with situations like this and those who have an evil mind. <clears throat> Otherwise, there's nothing but naivete. And if there's one thing the traditional Catholics are not, are not it, it's naive. They're not naive. They understand what evil is because they understand what goodness is. Okay. Now, <clears throat> I mean, we could do a whole program on that from a philosophical and theological point of view. We don't have to do that, though. <clears throat> but... I think we have to take, for example, St. Paul's epistle to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In the course of those 13 verses of that one chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, St. Paul says that evil thinketh no evil, right? Uh, is not provoked to anger. Rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices with the truth. Now I'm just asking my students today, what do you need? Because, because we, we pray that by heart before every religion class at the school. <clears throat> they know it. They should know it by heart. And uh, so I asked them, well, what do you mean that charity thinketh no evil? And the students uh, responded very well. I mean, they, they corresponded with what I thought in any case that it means you don't think evil of other people, or you don't wish people evil. You don't presume evil. You don't rash judge people. You don't rash, uh, susp rashly suspect people of evil without evidence. Okay. <clears throat> but again, that's not being naive about it, because he goes on to say, <clears throat> nonetheless, I mean, it does not think evil of others, but that does not mean it does not think that others are incapable of either evil. It does not fail to recognize evil thinking. It just doesn't gratuitously assign evil to other people. But when it gets down, you, you keep praying that, 1 Corinthians 13, and you have 
that it is not moved by malice, he says. It's not malice. It's not malicious <clears throat> looking for revenge and looking for evil in other, you know, seeking out evil in other people. <clears throat> but then it says it doesn't rejoice in iniquity <clears throat> as proud people would because when they see evil in another person, it makes them feel better about themselves. That's how proud people see. Well, I'm better than he is. Look at what this person's doing. That's the reaction of somebody who's not charitable in seeing some fault in another, that they somehow compare themselves and think of themselves as being better. <clears throat> but he says it rejoices with the truth. And there's the answer right there. Rejoices with the truth. And if the truth is that another person has evil intent, another person is working with evil principles to do evil things, it rejoices in knowing that, in knowing the truth about that. Why? Because knowing the truth about that enables that person to protect, defend itself against the evil intention of others, but also it puts him in a position where not only can he protect the innocent against those who have evil intent, but it also puts him in a position where he can actually address the evil in the hearts and souls of others and try to help them and try to convert them. Um, so he doesn't wish ill on others. Uh, he wants them to be converted and live. That's what, our, that's what God does. God doesn't wish the death of the sinner, but he wants them to be converted and live, quote-unquote, from sacred scripture. And that is what a charitable person does. But he doesn't do that by ignoring the evil that is there. He faces it squarely. He deals with it. He doesn't hate the person. He hates the evil that is holding that person captive and threatening that person's damnation. And he does everything in his power to try to overcome that. So in our case, this, this simply means that we have to be shrewd as serpents and guileless as doves to be very, very clear on what we're dealing with, recognize where the good is and where the evil is, and we have to uh, ourselves uh, be perfectly honest, straightforward, genuine, but, and courageous, but we can't be fools and we can't be taken advantage of through naivete in, in failing to recognize the evil that is there. If you look back in history, uh, there have been cases of real naivete. Um, one case, I'm sorry for going on, it, one case that struck me in the Old Testament was from the book of Maccabees, first book of Maccabees, when, uh, you know, Judas Maccabeus had died, he was the great leader of his brothers, and then his brother, I think Jonathan, uh, became the leader, and uh, there was a man named Trifon, who was a pagan. He brought his army into, uh, basically, into the Middle East. He brought his army in toward Judea. <clears throat> but he, he feared Jonathan and the ardor of the Hebrew nation to defend itself. Um, and so this man resorted to the most blatant deceit. I mean, really low, low deceit. Read it in the book of Maccabees. <clears throat> when he met Jonathan, it wasn't for battle. He put his hand out. He said, we're friends. We should work together. Uh, we should, uh, let's say, cooperate, collaborate. You've got your army. I've got mine. 
let's go down uh, to um, Ptolemy and let's take the, I will help you take the city and give you the city, uh, you know, for working with me. We will go and conquer this city together. Like they were the inveterate enemies. Uh, so anyway, Jonathan went along with him. <clears throat> but when they had taken the city, uh, Tryphon had the gates closed. Uh, he had actually convinced Jonathan to send away the vast majority of the army, keeping only 3,000 men with him, and even setting 2,000 of those aside, keeping only 1,000 men with him. And Jonathan trusted that man. He trusted Tryphon. He was such a, he was such a convincing deceiver, deceiver that Jonathan actually trusted him, which makes me think that maybe Jonathan was... <clears throat> I can't help but think that he was being given the grace by God to see through it, but perhaps there was some worldliness in him that blinded him to this. And he, so he put himself in danger, and sure enough, uh, Tryphon sprung the trap on him and, um, and took him prisoner and murdered the thousand men who were with him, some of the, 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 the picked men that Jonathan had with him. They were all put to death. They were defenseless. They were disarmed. They were defenseless. <clears throat> this is the price he paid for trusting this deceitful man. And uh, Jonathan made a very, very big mistake. And, uh, you know, you'd think, okay, well, here's a man who's fighting for Israel, and he's trying to fight for the Lord, <clears throat> and, you know, God could have given him the grace to see right through this. And I can't help but think that God was giving him the grace to see right through it. But there was something that blinded him, and he paid a terrible price for it. And later on, when uh, Jonathan's younger brother, Johannes, Johannes, John, stood up and said, well, I'm no better than my brothers. I will also put my life on the line. And I will lead my people. <clears throat> this Tryphon sent word to John saying, the reason why I took your brother is because of a great debt that he owed me. <clears throat> Lie. <clears throat> if you pay the debt, I'll release him. Send me all of this quantity of gold and silver. Send me two of Jonathan's sons. Okay, as surety, and I will release him. Of course, his brother knew the kind of man he was dealing with now. Okay, he wasn't going to trust that, but he feared that the people would say his brother Jonathan perished because he wouldn't send him. He wouldn't meet Tryphon's terms. He wouldn't pay the debt. And so John felt that he was compelled to send the money and the boys. They were killed, of course, and their father was killed. Jonathan was killed. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, he felt himself caught in the trap there. That's the situation we have in dealing with these leftists. That's exactly what we're dealing with. Massive deceit here. <clears throat> Another example of such treachery, and to this day, I mean, I can't even see the name Trifon without remembering this and think, just getting this sense of just aversion and just this utter disgust of just how debased that, that man must have been, how, how degraded an individual he must have been. And I'm just horrified that Jonathan believed him you know, to this day. But, you know, King David had a situation with his own son Absalom. And, uh, you know, Absalom murdered one of his brothers, and uh, David forgave him that. But Absalom turned on him, betrayed his father, drove him out of Jerusalem, uh, Relentlessly, relentlessly pursued him to, 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 to actually kill his father, David. 
And David spent uh, months, months running from his own son Absalom, who, who betrayed him to seize the kingdom. <clears throat> David even then had given orders to the army, when you meet Absalom in battle, if, if you take him, don't hurt him. Don't hurt him. And you know the story. You know what you read in the books of Kings. And Absalom was overcome in battle by Joab, <clears throat> the general of David's army. And Absalom was running on, on, on muleback, madly away, fleeing, when he suddenly found that he was fleeing right into the fork of, a, of an oak tree, and his head wedged in the tree. You see divine judgment there. And even though David had ordered not to touch this boy, and others would not because he said, it's the king's son. <clears throat> Joab ran through, I think, with eight, maybe ten spears. <clears throat> And cut him down from there, even alive. I mean, it was... Uh, Absalom died a, a miserable death, but a death that he deserved. And so we see two examples in the scriptures of this just base treachery and the reward of trust and, uh, and uh, kind of almost a, a naive trust, even, uh, with the most base treachery. And it's the kind of thing that makes any decent person almost feel ill at how awful and disgraceful it was. But this is what it is dealing with leftists. And they are not to be trusted. Uh, they are not to be negotiated with. Uh, they, they, they are, in the case of abortion, it's impossible. You cannot negotiate with them over abortion. You cannot negotiate with them over a perversion. You simply have to stand in your faith and say, this is wrong, and I cannot have a part in this in any way. That's the only way we can deal with this evil. I'm not sure that deals with your question, anyway, Tom, but I mean, the, the fact is that we, we have to take that strong stand, and we have to, uh, to approach it that way. If we'd approached it that way from the very beginning, we wouldn't be where we are right now. Right, right. Well, Father, uh, earlier in the program, you kind of mentioned those in the uh, in the Novus Ordo who were uh, struggling, you know, the traditional Catholics at heart, uh, who were struggling with the beliefs in the uh, in the practice of the Novus Ordo religion. And uh, I just wanted to read an email really quickly, Father, and get your um, <clears throat> your response to this. Um, I thought it was rather important. This is from a viewer who says, "I have many struggles in the church, and I am trying to do the best I can to prepare for judgment." I love the Tridentine Mass, and I struggle mightily with the Novus Ordo. However, our Lord built his church on Peter and said that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The Creed also states that the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, uh, any breakaway from the Vatican creates more than one church. Uh, he says the breakaway of the Society of St. Pius X resulted in another split uh, with the Society of St. Pius V. So wouldn't it be better, Father Jenkins, if every Catholic fought within the one true church rather than breaking away? Well, you see, he's begging a question, though. He's begging the question, is Francis Peter? That's the question. Yeah. I mean, traditional Catholics are traditional Catholics precisely because they refuse to break away. They would not break away from Catholic tradition. You can't be Catholic if you break away from Catholic tradition. It's as simple as that. If you break away from Catholic tradition, you are substituting a non-Catholic religion for the practice, for the practice of the faith. The practice of the faith is the traditional Catholic religion. 
You substitute a false religion based upon false principles of modernism, and you do not have the Catholic faith, and you don't have the Catholic religion. Traditional Catholics are those who are facing reality and saying that we will not break away from the church. And we see the degradation that is taking place in, in the new order, right? With the religion that came out of Vatican II and its, and its uh, modernist principles that animate this, this new religion. And you see they are, well, they are subverting, perverting, and inverting everything in, in, the, in the faith and the religion right now. <clears throat> so much so that I would tell this, this person, I assume a gentleman, I don't know, but uh, <clears throat> that it is impossible to practice the traditional Catholic faith within the modernist uh, domain. Um, they may allow you as some kind of extraordinary event, like the extraordinary form of a Mass, as they say, uh, a privilege of having a Latin Mass. They may allow you that, tolerate you having that. But they would never allow you to have the entirety of the Catholic religion, the integrity of the Catholic religion. You will have to go along with some of the modernism and some of the, and a great deal of the, of the Novus Ordo. You'll have to go along with that. <clears throat> it's impossible to practice the traditional Catholic faith within the Novus Ordo without, without sacrilege. There will inevitably be sacrilege that arises from it because of a compromise that has to be made. And so, um, but what I would say to this gentleman is, look, in order for you to remain within the Novus Ordo, you have to compromise your faith starting with Francis himself. I mean, in order to see Francis as the vicar of Christ on earth, you have to adjust the very concept of the papacy in order to suit Francis, in order to fit Francis. The Catholic Church has this teaching on the papacy. And in order to fit Francis somewhere in that, you have to, you have to distend it, you have to distort it. You have to distort that teaching in order to somehow include Francis in that definition. <clears throat> and uh, this is what we see is happening with the conservatives who are within the Novus Ordo. The conservatives I refer to as those who, who still have the, the Catholic faith, still believe what's in the Catechism, but they're not practicing it because they're going to the Novus Ordo, which is not really the Mass. never was intended to be a Mass. It was intended to be a substitute for the Mass. As, as the modernists themselves told everyone when they were concocting it, at Vatican II even, when they were discussing the shame on the liturgy, they said, this is what we're actually producing here. Look at the general instruction of the Roman Missal that came out with the new Mass. I mean, the original general instruction that came out with the new Mass itself is what I'm talking about, not the one that they've amended since then to try to Catholic up, as it were. <clears throat> Might have sound, sound more Catholic. Look at the original instruction that came out with the original New Mass and see where it came from and where it's going. And I'm saying that, you know, you're, you are actually compromising your faith with the principles of modernism to be going there. It's not good. It's not right. It is not what Christ established. You see, there's a false idea that says Christ established his, 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 uh, church on Peter himself, and our Lord did say, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Right? 
But the fact, and, the, and our Lord said the gates of hell would not prevail against it. That's, we know that. We believe that. Absolutely, we believe, believe that. But we see that if we see that Francis is actually the vicar of Christ on earth right now, perverting the faith as he does, <clears throat> that we see that as a denial of what Christ promised. That's why people come to the conclusion that Francis can't be the Pope because of that promise that our Lord made, <clears throat> because of what our Lord said to Peter. You understand what I mean? Yes. So, uh, you know, I understand the gentleman's point of view here, but I don't agree with it. <clears throat> I think he's got to look at it more from a traditional Catholic point of view and realize, <clears throat> well, we know what the Church teaches us about the papacy, <clears throat> and we believe that one must be a Catholic to be the Pope. <clears throat> one must have the Catholic faith in order to be a Catholic, and one must be a Catholic to be the Pope. But if these people are right in saying, well, he's the Pope, but he doesn't, he doesn't have to be a Catholic because he doesn't have to have the faith to be a Catholic. <clears throat> and if he has to <clears throat> have the faith to be a Catholic, well then, um, you know, that, that wouldn't apply to Francis because he doesn't. There are many people who acknowledge the fact he doesn't have the Catholic faith, never did as far as we know. Well, if it were the case, if it were the case that the Pope did not have to have the Catholic faith and did not have to be a Catholic in order to be a Pope, he's the only person on the face of the earth who doesn't have to have the faith to be a member of the church. He's the only person, really, on the face of the, face of the earth that the church says doesn't have to have the Catholic faith in order to be a Catholic. You and I do, but the Pope doesn't, according to their, according to their mentality. Right? Um, if you and I denied a doctrine of the faith, they would call us heretics. When Francis does it, it's just really a shame. But that's, there are no real consequences for him. So they're, they're, they're painting themselves into a corner, and uh, you know, inevitably they, they wind up in trouble over it. Uh, look, the, the only way out of, the only way through this is to um, simply practice the traditional Catholic faith. And uh, it, is not, it is not possible to do that in its integrity within the realm of the Novus Ordo. It simply is not in the land of modernism. But in any case, um, so I'll just say right there, <laughs> Father, any, uh, half hours, you know. any words of encouragement for us before, before we close the Well, you tell me. Have we heard any words of encouragement? Uh, from our viewers, yes, Father. Yes. Really? Such yeah. as? Um, well, one, one thing I, I found particularly striking lately, Father, is it seems uh, we have emails uh, coming in from from literally the, the the four corners of the world right now. We um, just this past week, I believe we we received emails from Puerto Rico, from uh, Australia, uh, from Germany, Canada, um, obviously here here in the states too. So it it um, seems that there are definitely people of of goodwill out there who um, who watch our, our watch our program and and find you you know speaking the truth on here and they find that very attractive and uh, very very intriguing so i think it's very encouraging just to uh, to see how many people of goodwill are out there and how many people do still love the truth you know even if they write in and, and say things like this that you know i'm 
struggling with, mm. you know, the, the Novus Ordo Church, I think that that's uh, perhaps at least a good place to start. Well, I can say why people are struggling over that question, you know. They're, they're trying to avoid a parent dilemma. They're dealing with, to them, seems like a dilemma. They have to resolve that dilemma somehow. Yeah. But uh, <clears throat> to resolve that dilemma by doing something that they, they just recognize, it's, it's just wrong, like yeah. the new mass. They recognize something wrong yeah. about it. They say, but it, still, that's what we've got to do. Christ demands that we do it because he, this is what he says over here. But if they recognize it's something wrong, they know that they can't do it morally wrong. Uh, you can't do wrong so that good may result from it. Right. You can't do evil that good may result from it, St. Paul says. So you, you sent me an, an interesting, uh, in the course of the past week, I think it was, an interesting message from somebody. Where, where was this from? Was uh, this, this, this was an email we received, Father. I, I believe I can, I can paraphrase it from me. Within were... the United States? Uh, I believe so, Father. Yes, someone oh, someone who okay. just uh, just recently came came across our, our program. He said that uh, he's kind of been binge watching our, our episodes, and he said uh, something to the effect that Father Jenkins is a certifiable genius. <laughs> and he said uh, that okay. um, he uh, he wonders, Father, uh, why you have never written written any kind of uh, books on either the Vatican II or um, really just any any kind of Catholic topic in in general. But uh, He's, he's, he's been a, a great uh, supporter of, of the program recently. I know he's done a lot mm -hmm. to kind of uh, spread the word and uh, advertise our, our show. Mm -hmm. So we're very, very thankful for that. But uh, yeah, he well, called I'm you a grateful for that too. And it's very genius. kind of him. <laughs> and I, I wasn't trying to draw that. Uh, I'd, I'd actually wasn't sure exactly what words he used there. <laughs> but I'm not sure who would certify me as a genius, except for that fine, fine gentleman there. But yeah. the fact is, though, that. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, there, here, wisdom is in the ear of the beholder. I'm sure. <laughs> but nonetheless, I, I do appreciate the kind thought there. Um, but uh, no, I, I haven't written books. First of all, I think there are plenty of very good books out there in, in various languages that are really worth reading. So I don't know they need a book by me. Although there are certain books I'd love to write. <laughs> but in fact, I'd even like to write a book uh, entitled uh, Subversion, Perversion, and Inversion, just to explain the process that, we've, yeah. that has brought us to this in our church and in our country. <clears throat> but, um, but have no fear, I won't get to it. <laughs> because You're a little busy. <clears throat> well, I'm, I'm a full-time uh, priest yeah. and uh, trying to take care of souls, and uh, that takes a lot of time and effort. Um, and uh, with my limited talents and uh, limited strengths, uh, it's a challenge, heaven knows. So uh, writing books takes a lot of time and attention, a lot of research has to be done, and I'm simply not in a position to do, to do that. But there are others much more capable than I who are actually doing it, so I'm, I thank God for that. But I, I thank uh, the gentleman for the thought, and uh, just would ask him to pray for what Catholics believe. Too, that it continue and that, uh, <clears throat> well, maybe someday we will have a certified genius <laughs> here <laughs> uh, sitting in the chair. But right now we just have to uh, tolerate what we've got, right? <laughs> make the best of it. So, <clears throat> but thank you yep. very much. Yep, Father, thanks for being here tonight. Appreciate it. Yeah, certainly welcome, time. Yep. Thank you. God bless you all. Thanks to all of our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima. 
to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.